Thanks so much for listening to the Clifton Church of Christ sermon podcast. We really appreciate you taking the time to listen, and we hope if ever you're in Clifton, Texas, you'll stop by and say hello. We hope you enjoy this sermon. Good morning, everyone. It's great to see all of you, and uh, we're starting a new series uh, this week. It's going to be a four-week series, and we're going to be, as Dick so put, put so well, we're going to be joining people all over the world, millions of people, um, but we're also in some ways not going to be joining millions of people because I don't think if you, it's not hard for you to notice that Christmas is uh, more and more a pretty marketed commercial uh, thing, pretty uh, common that most people say, oh yeah, I love Christmas, and they might not know anything about Jesus, but what we are going to do is we are going to spend the next four weeks, and we're going to be looking forward to the coming of the King, a baby that came in a manger, a God who decided to come and put on flesh and dwell with us. And I actually don't have a ton of experience talking about Christmas. And so I actually was talking with Clint uh, Schofield. I don't know if you all know Clint at the Presbyterian Church. He is a really great guy. I, when I came and interviewed here and we did kind of a meet and greet over in God's Flowers, uh, Clint came over to say hi and introduce himself to me and I'll tell this quick story. One time I was at Ace. Do y'all know who Connie is at Ace? A really sweet lady. She's just the best. And I asked her, I said, you know, Connie, I don't know, I hope you don't mind me asking this, but do you attend church anywhere? Because you seem like such a, a person I'd love to go to church with. And uh, she said, oh, that's so sweet. Well, I don't. I just, I constantly am working here at Ace. And uh, I said, well, you're always welcome to go to the church that I go to. I try to kind of downplay the whole being a preacher part. So I just said, I said, you're always welcome to the church I go to. She's like, oh yeah, which one is that? I said, well, it's across from the, the Baptist church and it's on six, you know, there's a rock station. She's like, is that where Clint Schofield preaches? And she's like, he is just the best. And I said, it's not where he preaches, but he is awesome and you should go visit him too. But I thought it was a pretty sweet moment. So I had to tell, I had to tell Clint about that. I said, you got some rave reviews from a Connie at Ace. But uh, I was talking to him about preaching Christmas, and he pointed me towards a book that they've used in the past, and it's called God in the Manger, and it's by a man who I really admire. His name is Diedrich Bonhoeffer. If you've been here since I've been here, I've heard Steve reference Bonhoeffer in one of his welcomes before, but he is a, a German theologian, and uh, he's probably one of the greatest, one of our greatest New Testament theologians uh, in the 20th century, but um, the thing that most people know him about is that he was part of uh, Christians who were trying to defy Hitler during Nazi Germany, and he actually died in a in a prison camp three weeks before uh, Hitler died in Berlin, and he he was executed just ten days before the Nazi forces started to surrender, and he would say he was this close. But this book, God in the Manger, is a collection of letters written by him, many of which were written during his prison stay in the concentration camp, and. They are in around November and around December, leading up to, to Christmas. And so I just want you to keep that in mind. And as we were talking, I thought, you know what? That's going to be a really helpful framework to talk about this next four weeks. And so each, it's a four-chapter book, and we're going to use each of the chapters, like I said, as a kind of a framework for our discussion. And the, the first of those chapters is called Waiting, just the word waiting. And um, I, I don't really need to talk about this too much. I feel like we've... I've preached recently on different psalms, and in our Bible class, we've talked about psalms, about waiting on the Lord. 
But all of us know what this feels like. All of us, I want all of you to stop and think for a second. If I asked you, what is something that you're waiting on right now? Pretty much every single one of us can think of something we would say. Waiting for a wife to come home from the hospital. Waiting for a loved one who maybe has wandered off to find their way back home. Waiting on a resolution to a problem, some kind of stress that you've been under, you're waiting for that. Or waiting for that next step. I think of teens or college students who just are biting and chomping at the bit to be able to go to that next step of life, of, of maturity, of, of opportunities. Um, all of us are waiting on something. And the Old Testament, actually it's kind of cool, there are two words in the Old Testament that are uh, used for the word hope. I'm not going to say what those two words are. But every time in the Old Testament you see the word hope, it's probably one of these two Jewish Hebrew words. And both of them, at some level, have a connotation of waiting. The words hoping and waiting are first cousins. They are very interconnected. One of the words in Hebrew um, is the word kabah, and that the first half of it, the word kav, means cord in Hebrew. And the idea is of whenever you take cords and you make them really tight, you pull them really tightly, there's this tension in it. And then all of a sudden, you know, that cord might snap and it has a release. And that's why that word for hope, it comes from that word for cord, because you and I, we, we all know what that feels like when we're hoping for something. There's this tension and this tense expectation of, I can't wait for this tension to be released. I can't wait for this thing that I have this expectation and hope for to snap and to be right and, and to be how we want it to turn out. And we see a theme throughout the Old Testament, I would say probably especially from the prophets, of this waiting and hoping, of this feeling of God, things don't feel right right now. Things don't seem right. Things aren't the way we want them to be. And we're waiting and hoping that you're going to do something about it. And I've kind of selected a few examples of some of these prophecies of people waiting and hoping for a day when a Messiah will come to end that tension and to make things right. So from 2 Samuel 7, 12-13, your days are over, and you rest with your ancestors, talking to David. I will raise up your offspring to succeed you, your own flesh and blood, and I will establish his kingdom. He is the one who will build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. From Micah 5.2 But you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, though you, have, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from of old, from ancient times. A fun little note, I've mentioned this before, Bethlehem uh, means, uh, in Hebrew, it's the word house of bread. And so uh, a lot of people like to make the connotation that out of Bethlehem, the house of bread, came the living bread, the, the bread that will feed us for all time. Kind of a cool uh, connection. But Isaiah 9, 2 through 7, is one that you will hopefully hear many times over the next four weeks in many different settings. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. You have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. They rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest, as warriors rejoice when dividing the plunder. For as in the day of Midian's defeat, you have shattered the yoke that burdens them, the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their, the oppressor, their oppressor. This, all these languages, is the language of what we've been waiting for. 
God were constant, the people of God are constantly being oppressed. Everything that they experienced with the Egyptians and their slavery, it's just over and over that feeling of when we are being oppressed, when we are being in this position of waiting and hoping, God, is there ever going to be a day where Pharaoh isn't in charge of us anymore? Is there ever going to be a day where Nebuchadnezzar or the Assyrians, where somebody isn't ruling over us and we're hoping and waiting for that? Every warrior's boot used in battle and every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning, will be fuel for the fire. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and above and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness. From that time on and forever, the zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. And so the first thing that I want to say to you, and, and it's going to sound common, but it's something that we need to try our best to make it sound new and fresh to us every year, is the fact that the people in the Old Testament, the people of God, from the beginning have been longing and waiting and hoping for a day when God will bring justice, for a day when God will make all things right, for a day when God will, will bring them back to him. And when Jesus came, God in the manger, he ended the waiting and fulfilled that hope. This, the reason why Christians all over the world celebrate Christmas is because Jesus Christ coming is the answer to the waiting and the hoping that the people of God had for many years. And, and 1 Peter, I love the way 1 Peter describes this because it, it describes just how much the coming of Jesus was the answer to the hope that they, they had, but the waiting that they had. This is I'm going to use the message translation because it does the best job of describing this. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 10-12, through it says, The prophets who told us this was coming asked a lot of questions about this gift of the life of God was preparing. So basically they're saying, the prophets, they spent a lot of time asking a lot of questions, saying, what is this going to look like when God brings this gift, when God makes things right? The Messiah's spirit let them know in, on some of it. So God, Jesus' spirit kind of whispered to them and let them know bits and pieces of what was to come. And those are the things that we just read about. It's going to be from Bethlehem. It's going to be a child that's born and of the line of David. All these things are bits and pieces that the Messiah would experience suffering followed by glory. We see that in Isaiah 55. They clamored to know who and when. All they were told was that they were serving you. You who by orders from heaven have now heard for yourselves. I believe what it's saying here is they, they were told bits and pieces, but really what they heard over and over was that they weren't going to get to be the people who got to experience Jesus as Messiah. One time I had a good talk with Steve. We were talking about life and ministry, and he said, you know, Drew, a lot of what your ministry might be might be for Marshall or Landry Joe. You might be the David that doesn't get to or you might be the, the Moses that doesn't get to go to the promised land, just gets to see it. And that's what these prophets were like. They were people that they did all this looking and hoping and waiting, and they never got to meet, see Messiah. But they knew that they were pointing forward for these people, for, and by these people, I'm talking about these new Christians that Peter is writing to. Through the Holy Spirit, the message of those prophecies has been fulfilled. Do you realize how fortunate you are Angels would have given anything to be in on this. Isn't that cool? It's almost like you've got these angels that just can't help but wait and watch to see what is going to happen. And that the people 
that Peter's writing to, these Christians who know Jesus, he's saying, y'all are a privileged people. Y'all are getting to experience what all these people have been waiting and hoping for for years. You get to know what happens. And, and we are like that. Even though we're not first century Christians, we all get to be people that are privileged in that we got to, we're, we came after the waiting and the hoping. We came after the anticipation of what Jesus would do. Christians all over the world remember the fact that by Christ coming to be born among us, he ended the waiting and he fulfilled the hoping. The hope came, and by celebrating this time of Christmas, of Jesus' birth, we remember that by, by building up towards Christmas, my hope is, is that we too go through this feeling of waiting, and as we wait for that day, we get to remember years and years and centuries and centuries of God's people waiting and waiting for Jesus to be the answer to that waiting and that hoping. And so there's this great quote from uh, Bonhoeffer that I'm going to quote for the first time, where he's talking about his experience in prison. And he says this, he says, Life in a prison cell may well be, and by the way, he's writing from a prison cell, may well be compared to Advent. If any of you see or hear the word Advent and you're not familiar with it, that word, have, have any of you ever heard someone say, this is the greatest thing since the advent of the airplane? Some of you might think, oh, they meant to say the invention, the invent. No, no, no. The advent means the arrival, the, the arrival of something big. And so whenever Christians refer to advent season, it's because the word advent means the arrival of something big. And they're talking about the arrival of the Savior, the King, Jesus Christ. He says, life in, prison, life in a prison cell well may, be, may well be compared to advent. One waits, hopes, and does this, that, or the other. Things that are really of no consequence. The door is shut and can only be opened from the outside. This is what the people of God experienced. The people of God were people who were waiting, knowing that someday God would send someone, Jesus Christ, to come from the outside to unlock the door so that we could come out of our prison cells. God came from the outside into our world and unlocked the door for us to be able to go outside. And let me take it a step further. God came from the outside, God and fled. God the Father came from the outside into our world through God the Son, and not only did he unlock the door for our prison, he came and dwelt in prison with us and was there beside us in the suffering, there beside us in the waiting, and freed us so that we are now capable to be people who are able to go outside and to live as free people with God forever. It's pretty amazing to think about. So I want you to think for a little bit. Uh, I think this one's to the next slide. Yeah, okay. Um, you know the phrase the, in the Beatitudes when you hear the Beatitudes in Matthew 5 it's uh, blessed are the poor in spirit for there's the kingdom of heaven blessed are those who mourn for they will be comforted blessed are the meek pretty much everything you read sounds like something that doesn't actually sound blessed right? does, does it sound blessed to weep? not really does it sound blessed to be persecuted? not really um, and so I'm gonna I type this up because one of the things that um, I think about and I need us to think about for this lesson is when I asked you about the things that you're waiting for, uh, many of you probably thought, uh, actually, the waiting is kind of awful. Like, the, the more when I asked you to think of what you're waiting for, you probably spent some time going, yeah, I'm waiting and it's the worst. I'm ready to not be waiting, right? So I've got a couple analogies. Um, some of you may know uh, the Clifton Cubs football team was not the state champions this year. Uh, they were not necessarily the greatest team in Clifton Cubs history. And Catherine and I were at the homecoming game playing against Buffalo, and it was like the second, last, second to last game of the year, and Clifton hadn't won a game yet. And I remember 
Clifton, in a really exciting, fun way, won basically with like 20 seconds left in the game. And we in the crowd were going bananas, going berserk. And you can imagine that people watching would be like, okay, y'all, this isn't the Super Bowl, chill out. We're playing, we're playing Buffalo, okay, right? But part of why it was so great was because those players and those parents had been waiting and hoping all year that their kids would win at least one game. Can you imagine being a parent of a senior on the football team, and every time your son comes home and says, I've spent four years trying, or starting in seventh grade, I've spent six years hoping that my senior year we have a good team and we can't win one game. I go to practice every day, I've gone to practice in two days all summer and we can't win one game. It's a lot of waiting, right? And one thing I would tell you, Catherine, whenever the Cowboys are getting killed in a game, and it's the fourth quarter, and she says, why don't you just turn it off? What I always say is, the reason I watch this game is because when I watch while they're getting killed, it'll be that much sweeter when they actually do win something someday, okay? And that's the truth of what was going on with the waiting and the hoping. Now, let me give you another example. Um, I don't know how much this is true, because I heard a preacher use it as an analogy, so it may not be that true. Um, but uh, but uh, there's a tradition in Brazil that for a wedding, um, a Brazilian wedding, everybody gets ready and they, they, they announce, hey, the wedding's going to be at 6 p.m. or whatever. And everybody goes and gets in their seats. There's a tradition that supposedly the bride may show up as late as like two hours late for her arrival. Now, I know some of us would be like, are you kidding me? I'm not sitting there for two hours waiting for that. But the tradition is, is that the bride comes late because it builds more and more suspense for the wedding. It builds more and more drama of, I cannot wait for this to happen and to come, right? Okay? And so I'm going to use these two, the sports analogy and this wedding analogy. And with those in mind, I want you to read this quote from Bonhoeffer. Those who do not know how it feels to struggle anxiously with the deepest questions of life, of their life, and to patiently look forward with anticipation until the truth is revealed. Those people who don't know how to wait. Those people who don't know what it feels like to struggle and say, God, when are you going to answer my questions? Those people who don't know what it feels like to say, God, I'm in the toughest valley of my life waiting for a resolution. When are you going to bring the answer? The people who don't know that cannot even dream of the splendor of the moment in which clarity is illuminated for them. So if you don't know what it feels like to hurt in the waiting and the hoping, then the fulfillment of that waiting and hoping will not be mean very much to you. So that's why I say, blessed are those who wait. This morning, if you heard me say, some of you are waiting for something. Some of you are waiting for your wife to come home from the hospital. You think how good that felt for us when Christy really finally got to come home? Because we had been waiting and hoping for so long, saying, what's going to happen? Is she? We want her to be back with us. The more we waited, the more we hoped, the, the worse that that anxiousness felt, the more the answer to that hoping felt really good and really great. That's why the Cubs football team celebrated so much, because we've been waiting for it. Because those players have wanted it so bad. The reason why, when the bride finally shows up and everyone's like, oh, finally, she's here. It's because you had to go through that waiting and that hoping that they would come and that the answer would be here. And so the thing I want you to know and to think about is that the waiting was over when Jesus came, but we are invited as you see throughout the New Testament, that we now, as Christians, are in a new state of waiting and hoping. Yes, we already have the already of Jesus coming and breaking into the world, but we also are waiting and hoping for a day when he's going to make all things new, when all things will be where there are no more tears, where there's no more pain, no more sickness, no more war, 
That day is still to come, and every Christmas, while we think about the waiting for Christ's coming, we also get to think about the waiting and hoping for Christ's second coming, the waiting and hoping for the new heavens and the new earth. And so this is my challenge for you this week. I want you for the next few weeks to try and meditate, try and think about how much anticipation is building all around you. If you're not a child who doesn't necessarily get so amped up for Christmas morning and Christmas presents, then this might be hard for you. But as you look around and people are putting up lights in their front yard, people are shopping, and there's a certain anticipation and stress that's building for the next month. And I want you to see all of it, and the second that you see the anticipation building, you, you watch the movies that you love to watch, you make the recipes you love to make, you do all these things, and the anticipation builds. I want you to think, instead of how it's leading towards boxes and wrapping and presents, I want you to think about how it leads towards the answer to our waiting, the hope that we've been waiting for coming. Those of, there are those of you who are waiting, desperately waiting for a resolution, hoping for good news, waiting for prayers to be answered. I don't want you to push against that. Instead, I want you to sit and really think about how much you're waiting and hoping. Be present in that waiting because the fulfillment of it will be that much sweeter. And the fulfillment of that, we know, is already promised because when Jesus came, God in the flesh, God in the nature, we were told that all the promises of God are yes through Jesus Christ. God is coming and we celebrate Christ's coming because it reminds us that our hope isn't in vain. We wait, and as the psalmists do over and over, if you read through the psalms, the psalms of trust, this is what they say. God, I'm in the pit, but I have hope and trust in you because I know who you are from what you've done for me in the past. And how much more do we get to say that? God, I'm waiting, but I'm trusting that I know you're going to answer because I know what you've done in the past. And we see that most clearly in Jesus Christ. Let me conclude by reading one more quote from the book. Advent can be celebrated only by those whose souls gave, give them no peace, who know that they are poor and incomplete, and who sense something of the greatness that is supposed to come, before which they can only bow in humble timidity, waiting until God inclines himself towards us, the Holy One himself. God in the child in the manger. God is coming. The Lord Jesus is coming. Christmas is coming. Rejoice. If any of you have any prayer requests or anything that you'd love to talk about, if any of you want to know more about what it means that Jesus is the answer to your waiting and your hoping, I'd love to talk to you or feel free to reach out if you're watching online. And if you have any prayer requests, there will be elders standing at the doors while we stand and while we sing this song.